The Seahawks made a bit of a surprise selection in the seventh round, picking Derek Young out of tiny Lenore Ryan in the 2022 NFL draft. What does Young bring to the table for the Seahawks? We'll be finding out from a source that knows him pretty darn well on today's latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a very special guest set to join us on today's episode. Somebody that's got a personal experience coaching new Seahawks seventh round pick, Dariq Young. Plus, we'll continue our Inside the Seahawks draft series with Rutgers receiver Bo Melton, who the team selected with their first seventh round pick in the draft last month. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. When the Seahawks left the field at their rookie minicamp a few weekends ago, most of the players that left the field unfortunately weren't going to be wearing Seahawks uniforms again. More than half of the players that participated in the camp were there on a tryout basis. But as has been the case most years under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, a few of those tryout players now have found their way onto the 90-man roster and will have a chance to stay with the team going into OTAs later this month. At the cornerback position, Elijah Jones coming from Oregon State. And then at offensive tackle, Liam Ryan, who played at Washington State alongside Abe Lucas, started a lot of games together on the Cougars' offensive line. The two of them yesterday signed two a contract they will join the team and as i said they will be with them for otas these are the kind of stories that you love to see rob guys that didn't even get signed as priority undrafted free agents but they come in they do what they got to do at the rookie minicamp on a tryout basis they impress enough to get a contract and that's all you need is that opportunity we saw that with benson mayoa many years ago and benson mayoa has been in the league now for almost a decade Exactly. And I think that's a that's an excellent uh, example there that you just provided with Mayoa, because, of course, we all know that pass rushers are like gold in the NFL teams are going to basically be you know, looking under rocks to be able to find uh, prospects like that. Well, you look at Seattle's roster as it currently is constructed and they have areas of concern along the offensive line and at cornerback. So it made an awful lot of sense for Seattle, for Seattle to be bringing in a guy like Liam Ryan, a 40-game starter at Washington State, primarily at that left tackle position. Of course, Seattle selected the right tackle and Abe Lucas in the third round of this year's draft. So um, you're, you're getting a guy in Ryan who has positional versatility. He has starting experience at an elite level. Um, he played previously at guard. Some even view him as a possible center convert. Um, so that kind of positional versatility and durability is going to be really exciting. And then going back with Elijah Jones, who, as you mentioned, uh, played at Oregon State, but previously played at Kansas, um, was actually recruited to Kansas by Les Miles, the former LSU head coach. Um, national champion, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, that's the thing is you, you look at Jones. I mean, he's got that kind of classic Pete Carroll, Seahawkey cornerback kind of measurables. I mean, six foot one, um, has long arms, has speed, and obviously showed something during the mini camp to really, you know, pique Seattle's interest. With Jones, he doesn't have the, the production, the, the starting experience that Ryan does. So he was certainly the more surprising of the, the two signs for Seattle. But at the same time, just given how well the Seahawks have done in finding those late round picks and, and free agents, especially in the secondary, uh, I think that this is a time for Seattle, be very, Seahawks fans to be very excited about the uh, potential diamonds in the rough that Seattle just unearthed. Yeah, starting with Jones, he actually had an interception in the rookie minicamp, which is one more interception than he had his entire Division I career. He never picked off a pass at Kansas or Oregon State. He had 45 tackles. He had eight pass breakups, four tackles for loss, but never had a pick in a game in his four years with those two programs. Only played in five games for the Beavers last year. So he doesn't have a lot of experience at the college level. He started at a community college before going to Kansas. So he's been around the block. He's never really was able to jump out as a full-time starter at the FBS level. And yet he gets the opportunity, as you mentioned, because he's got the size, he's got the length. He's a very good athlete. He has the measurables that the Seahawks like. Those are the kind of players you bring in for tryouts and you just see, hey, do we have something in this kid? And there have been instances where there have been players at the college level that didn't produce much and they were able to make an NFL roster. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Elijah Jones, especially with the corners Seattle already drafted, the moves they've made. It's going to be hard to even make the practice squad at that position. But he does have the physical traits, the athleticism that Seattle likes. And what a start coming in and getting a pick in the rookie minicamp. He clearly did something right because the Seahawks, they only had two tryout players they signed, and he ended up being one of them. Now, Liam Ryan maybe is the one I'm more intrigued about when we're talking about long-term projections here. I'm not expecting him to be a starter in the NFL. And obviously with Charles Cross and Abe Lucas both being drafted in the first three rounds, the Seahawks are set at the tackle position. But you look at the starting experience, as you mentioned, 40 starts at Washington State. He started a full season at left guard. He started two seasons at left tackle. He's got less than 32-inch arms, so I don't see him, even though they're listing him as a tackle right now on the roster, I don't see him being a tackle on the Seahawks roster. I think that he's going to get looked at as guard. Maybe as a center, I would be very intrigued to see if he could play the center position because we know the lack of depth Seattle has there behind Austin Blythe, who they signed in free agency. Kyle Fuller has disappointed when he's gotten his opportunities. Just don't know that he's good enough to be a guy that plays for you on Sundays in the center position. We have not seen Dakota Shepley beyond preseason games of the 49ers, and he looked good in those games. But again, those are preseason games. They really don't have a backup there. So I'm wondering if Liam Ryan could do that. And this is a guy, as you mentioned, that's been extremely durable. Why not give him a shot? If you're not going to try Shamarius Gilmore there, one of these undrafted guys, that's a way to make this roster if you can prove that you can play the center position. No, no question about it. And again, just the positional versatility. I mean, let's just imagine for a moment that he can't play that center position or at least not compete at that spot um, for meaningful opportunities this season as a rookie. As you just pointed out, I mean, the fact that he is a multi-year starter at left tackle um, as well as inside at guard. 
Um, I, I think that he could play that Jamarco Jones type of role that the Seahawks had that that swing offensive lineman, that sixth man um, that might be able to provide a great deal of versatility for Seattle up front. Um, you know, of course, as the NFL seasons get longer and longer, it seems like almost every year now, Corbin, then then you're going to have the struggles with durability, um, especially when you have as many as you know four potential brand new starters on Seattle's offensive line. Just trying to figure out who are all these uh, you know players and how do they fit in best? Well, you already know that Abe Lucas is going to be very very familiar with Liam Ryan, um, as well as Charles Cross, obviously coming from Mike Leach's offense as well, obviously at Mississippi State, um, wasn't a teammate. But still, the the ability to be able to have a conversation and be talking in the same language, the way that these three rookie offensive linemen for the Seahawks now will be able to do that, that's critical. Um, that, that's a huge part to, to being able to get onto the field and be able to actually uh, mesh together. And that's such an important part of any offensive line, but it's definitely one that is expected to use as much of the zone blocking system as Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron are expected to employ for Seattle. So again, another sign that I think makes an awful lot of sense, the further you, you dig into the details uh, about Liam Ryan and again, Elijah Jones as well. For these two guys, again, just getting the opportunity. Not many tryout players get signed to rosters. Most of the guys that participate in that mini camp probably won't wear an NFL helmet again. That was their one opportunity. These two guys took advantage of it. Now they get additional chances in OTAs, mandatory minicamp, assuming that they stay on the roster. Sometimes these guys are on the team for a week and they get bounced. Sometimes you end up with Benson Mayola and they're still in the league nine years later. You just never know, but they're getting the opportunity. And I think you look at these two guys, Jones is going to have to prove himself on special teams. He's going to have to prove that he can be a practice squad developmental guy. Maybe he hangs around that way. Ryan, on the other hand, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that there's a possibility that he could battle his way to maybe being in contention to make the roster because the Seahawks have very little depth to tackle. They've got their two rookies, and then you've got your two second-year players, and then Greg Island's the only other tackle they have. Guard, you've got three really good ones, and then you've also got Shamarius Gilmore, but there could be some depth things there. And obviously, as I mentioned, at center, you have your depth concerns. So if Ryan can play center, that immediately bolsters his ability to make this team. So I'm curious to see what both these players do. We'll be keeping tabs on them when OTAs open on May 23rd. Coming up next, we've got a special guest set to join us, coached Derek Young at Lenore Ryan, going to break down the Seahawks' seventh-round receiver when we return for this special edition interview. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing that it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. It might sound like a pipe dream, but that is what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from Bill. I received my birthday cake puffs last week and the box is already gone. I've never had anything like this before. They're available right now online. We can't promise they will be there tomorrow, though. So go get them today at Built.com. If you haven't tried Puffs, going to let you in on a secret. Chocolate-covered marshmallow basically infused with protein. You heard me. Delicious flavored marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. And Built's Birthday Cake Puffs take a delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake and robed it in 100% white chocolate and added sprinkles. I wish I had another box right now. 
With 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and only 9 grams of sugar, this limited-time flavor is an amazing option if you are looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. Go to Built.com to get birthday cake puffs now. Built.com, use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at Built.com for 15% off your next order. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rank. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Joining us on the Locked On Seahawks hotline, we're happy to welcome somebody that knows one of Seattle's draft picks pretty darn well. Devin Figaro, the receiver coach for Lenore Ryan, previously coached at Valparaiso back in my neck of the woods in northern Indiana. Also coached at Notre Dame College, played collegially at Tulane, as well as Louisiana Lafayette. Devin, thanks for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. So you joined the staff with the Bears back in 2019. Jarek had been on campus for a couple years at that point. What was your initial impression seeing this kid? What stood out to you taking over as the new receivers coach? Well, initially, I mean, I, he was one of the first guys that the whole staff met. So when we came in, uh, these guys were on break. A few guys were in town, and Derek was actually like the first player that I met. And uh, initially, it was just his stature. I mean, his physique, he kind of he had a Letterman jacket on then, but you could still see that, that he had a nice frame to him, you know, tall cat. Um, his mannerism was the biggest thing that stood out to me. You know, as a coach, um, you want to make sure you – um, come in and develop a relationship with, with your players um, and kind of tread water lightly as you're a new guy, new face to to, to what they're getting used to. And uh, just everything about him, his demeanor, um, he's calm natured, um, his physique. And uh, it was a pleasure from, from start to finish and, and still talk to him pretty much quite often. And, and he, he hasn't changed. He's always been the same. So that's one thing I appreciated and, and one thing that stood out. Um, about that uh, with him. Um, that's, that's a great answer. Thank you for kind of enlightening us and just how uh, he was developing there. I, I'd ask you to kind of just dig a little deeper. Can you give us like a, you know, a, a quick story, an anecdote um, of, of how that you saw Derek Young perform, whether it be in practice, whether it be in taking a younger player under his wing, um, uh, any kind of performance during the game, a game itself that he just kind of took over just something else to kind of allow our listeners who have only seen some, uh, you know, a few highlights of what Drake Young was able to do for you at Lenore Ryan. Can you kind of give us a little bit more about who he is as a person or as a man, as, as a player? Sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he's somebody that, that cares. He, he works really hard. He's probably the hardest worker that I've ever coached and been around through playing and coaching so far in my young career. Um, you saw it from from the jump. I mean, he's a guy that's in the weight room multiple times a day. He's in the training room multiple times a day, whether he's hurt or not, um, getting extra catches on the jug machine. Um, when I got in, uh, a little raw from running the offense that those guys had ran before, um, the previous staff um, had his hand in the dirt a little more than we obviously had him in our offense. Um, and so just trying to shake the rust off a little bit, um, he's – Coachable, really coachable. He looks you in the eye. He's respectful. He's, he's never disrespecting any type of way. He's always, yes, sir, um, taking the coach points and then trying. As a coach, you you want to try to introduce different things to guys. And when you go through individual work, you want that to relate and translate over to team activities. And 
he picked everything up really fast. He started to eliminate some of the stuff that was tendencies for DBs um, to pick up on, like running more high knee, um, depending on your top end, how, you, how you're coming in out of your break, getting your weight on your instep, more emphasizing chest over knee so you can't get that pressure in your instep to push off and get out of your routes faster because um, he, he always had that, that speed since I was there. Um, and he continued to grind and continue to work from there. In terms of taking guys under his wing, he sits in the front row every single every single meeting. Um, he's, he's got like three, four highlighters. Don't really know his coding system with it, but he's taking tedious notes. He's highlighting. Um, he has one of our um, now up-and-coming receivers is going to make a, a, a lot of plays for us here, um, sitting right next to him, talking to him throughout it, not disruptive talking, but kind of helping him out, see what I'm trying to coach up and, and coaching points from there. Um, just a, a leader, man. He, I mean, it's, it's on and off the field. He's not a guy that's going to be a rah-rah guy, like get in your face or when you're messing up or something like that. He'll take you along the side, kind of coach you up, let you know how it's done, and then kind of lead more by example from there. That's the biggest thing that stood out for me. Uh, and then in terms of just taking over the game, the, the one of the ones that stood out for me most was uh, the Tusculum game in our, in our COVID spring kind of shortened season. Um, he had like 13 catches and was just going crazy. And um, he had a couple of drops as well, but he didn't let it affect him mentally. He never gets too high and he never gets too low. And that's another thing that's impressive for him. And I know that's what will help him be successful um, in the NFL because it's an emotional game and, and, it, and you thrive off of confidence and he doesn't let his confidence waver, uh, whether he's having a really, really good game or just an okay kind of few plays, he gets back on track and does a good job of focusing in and, and working hard. And and that's the thing that that the 12 is going to get. They're going to get a guy that that busts his, busts his butt every single day and, and he'll do more than what's asked, um, not just just what's just asked in terms of the meeting and, and things like that. You'll see him out there on the field getting extra work, grabbing the quarterbacks, grabbing the extra guy, asking questions, coming in at uh, meet, getting more meeting time, one on ones with the coaches, and that's what most impressive was impressive about him because he's got that nature and that stature already, the intangibles to be great. Um, he, he's hungry, and, and that's what's that's what I love about Reed. We see this a lot now, and you and I were talking about before we got set with this show about how recruiting has changed. Obviously, there's a lot of differences in college football right now, but what a kid looks like when they're 17 or 18 years old doesn't always necessarily show you what that kid is going to look like two or three years later. And I was looking at Dariq's high school recruiting profile <laughs> after he was drafted by the Seahawks because I was just curious, and I looked, and I'm like, 174 pounds, ran a five-second 40-yard dash, had no rankings from anyone. And he told us in our intro conference call, like, I really didn't have any other options. And he's like, Lenore Ryan was the one school that continued to touch base with me. So that's where I ended up going. They were legitimately interested in me. And now here he is, 6'3", 222 pounds, runs a 4-4-4. At what point did you start to think, you know what, I might have an NFL receiver in this kid? Sure. It was uh, it was the spring season. I came in knowing that he'd probably be a camp guy, but just his growth and his work ethic um, and training and, and just knowing that he wants to provide for his family and his goals. He's, he saw Kyle Duggar and the success that he had and the attention that he's getting. And I think it kind of fueled him even more that, hey, I do have a shot to, to actually make it a stick in the league um, as long as I continue to grind my butt off and, and do his ass. And um, again, he. He's a guy that 
just, I mean, you, you do whatever you ask for him in terms of, of, of what um, the programs ask. Coach Caldwell, our strength coach, does a hell of a job. Um, they kind of stick to a, a strict plan. Um, I mean, these guys come from high school to college. And when you get to college, you're eating a lot more because you have access to the calf as many times as you want. You've got the nutrition center with the weight room. So these guys are getting protein and all these things pre and post workout. And um, you're just lifting a lot more as well. So, I mean, you part that with a guy that's got the frame to put on good weight and good strength. And, and you get a guy like Derek. He kind of surprised me. I didn't. I didn't think he was. I asked him, "What do you think you are running the forty before he ran?" He was like, oh, "I'm I'm four three for sure." And he did hit four three when he was training at Exos in in Florida. Um, but it was kind of windy that day. Not trying to give excuses, but out at Charlotte at the pro day, it was pretty windy. Those guys didn't get a chance to run with the wind; they ran against it. And so to be able to run a four 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 flat against the wind was pretty impressive for him. I was excited. Hey. That, that is certainly impressive. I mean, it's, just, it's unbelievable how he has kind of ascended as a as a talent. Um, you know, of course, you have, you know, you being the humble guy that you are, had, had something to do with that as well. Um, and, and so I, I just kind of ask, like, how how did you use Derek Young? I mean, I saw on tape um, that, that he was used in a variety of different fashions. He was not just your traditional split end or flanker. Um, you know, there was we, – we've seen this – so many receivers in today's NFL, you know, Debo Samuel in San Francisco being a perfect example of it, that are just asked to play multiple different roles. Sure. Was it because Young was such an incredible talent um, that you decided to do that? Or were you also thinking that, hey, we, we just want to make our offense more multiple? Or was it a combination of both? I think it's – our offense is multiple in its whole, but you you also, as your game plan, you try to, I mean, you you come in the meeting room and the offensive coordinator does a hell of a job, Anthony Soto, and you try to design plays or make sure, hey, at minimum, we're trying to get this guy this amount of touches. And then you start to break down the deficiencies in the defense and see how we can exploit them. And Dari can do it all. I mean, he can run routes, he can carry the ball. And so we, we marry that part up with the run game in turn doing the fly sweeps and the jet motions, the short screens, um, using this explosive ability and also taking a couple shots. And so when you got a guy that can do all that, especially at our level, um, it, it's, it's just that much better for us and, and able to, to marry that up with the run game. It helps us out. Um, our running back did a really good job this year, had about 1700 yards. And so it freed up some of the receivers, which we're looking, looking our chops. I mean, if we get one-on-one -on -one matchups, especially with Dariq, I mean, it, it's pretty much a done deal in terms of being a successful play. So um, it, it's a combination of both, but you also got to cater to your guys. You got to adjust each year depending on what your roster holds. And it was just a fortunate for us walking into that program with Dariq and a lot of other receivers, uh, but more specific, specifically Reek, uh, being able to do everything that we wanted to do and get even more creative. I mean, we lined them up in the slot and lined them up as a number three, number two, number one receiver, isolated them on the other side as well, um, and just tried to exploit defense as much as we can. Um, Not many D2 players get to the NFL. It just seemed like there's been more in recent years, but still it's not something that happens a lot, at least in terms of players being drafted. But now, as you mentioned with Kyle Duggar, two players in three years for Lenore Ryan. What does this mean for your program, having that kind of exposure now with two players in three years being selected? And how do you see that impacting the way that your school and maybe other D2 schools recruit uh, students in today's climate, obviously with NIL and Division One and all the other changes going on? Sure. 
I mean, it means a lot. I mean, again, like you said, not many D1s have that many guys within the span of three years. So it just goes to show that that anybody can play. I mean, and, and scouts will find you wherever, wherever you're at. Now with technology and just the uh, accessibility to, to everything, guys are hopping on jets and being there within a few hours. So if you put up the numbers, then that's what's going to get them attracted to, kind of getting intrigued to, oh, hey, what's going on over here? And and our guys have put up the numbers. And, and uh, again, just shows that if given the opportunity, getting in the right program, being able to get – in development with the strength program, getting coached really well. Um, and our, our administration does a good job of supporting us with everything, with everything we've got going on. I mean, we've got a $20 million renovation going with our stadium. Our, our weight room was just built two years ago. It's a $3 million project. Baseball has got everything. So facilities parted with, again, success on the field and off the field. Um, team GPA was just a 3.1. And so we, do, we use all those things in terms of, of uh, recruiting. Um, and it just makes it that much better and easier for us if you partner facilities with the success of guys going to the NFL and make some of these guys look at D2 and give them a more a better chance versus kind of in the old days, everybody just want to go D1 and, and trying to see if they can get it from there. I got to ask you one more question as a follow-up there because you mentioned the team GPA. And this was maybe the thing that shocked me the most when I was learning about Derek Young after he'd been selected. We were talking to him in a conference call and, you know, we always ask players, you know, what did you graduate with? And he goes, yeah, you know, I've got an engineering physics degree. And all of us kind of looked at each other like, whoa, like yeah. you just don't see that very often. Guys coming into the league with that. Uh, how does that project to what you see from him on the field? Because obviously he is an incredible student and he's getting he's trying to get his MBA to go with that. Sure. Uh, you just don't see that very often. You don't. You don't. I talked to him last night and I was kind of asking, kind of just seeing how, what, how it's been in camp and things like that. And he said they were going through the first three installs and he picked it up pretty well. Um, and, and that's what you're going to get from him. He's, he's naturally intelligent. He understands it very seldomly. Do I have to kind of correct him? Or no, this is this or this is this. This is like this. Uh, he kind of just gets it right away. Again, I go back to in the, in the meeting room. Guys learn in different ways. So it's our job as coaches to get uh, to teach them in ways that they learn best. Uh, but it's, I mean, whether it's video, me just putting the install packet in front of him or anything, he's taking his notes, he's coming in extra hours, and it just comes naturally to him. Some guys, it doesn't come as naturally, and you got to continue to harper on and kind of just find different creative ways. Uh, but, I mean, you could, you could throw anything at him, and he picks it up pretty quick. And I was impressed with him by just listening to him last night that he was getting it a lot faster than I thought he would have, which – which was impressive uh, for him. And he said those other guys are coming in a, a lot more vets and they kind of um, skipped yesterday. They went to a practice where they went to like straight and install 15. So um, it was a little tougher for him, but he was still getting it pretty well. And and, and that's, that's going to help him. That's going to help him get on the field uh, because I mean, if you can't, if you can't get lined up and you can't run the right route, then how are your teammates going to trust you to be in the game? So that's the most, most important um, think for him as he's going through these first couple mini camps and, and getting ready to go. Yeah, I know we're really excited to see what this kid can do on the field. We got to see him a little bit in rookie mini camp. Obviously, not going to see too much when you're watching rookie mini camp <laughs> walkthroughs, but you could see the size, you could see the speed. Uh, 
He did get overthrown on a pass, which surprised me. I thought he was going to run underneath it, but uh, not quite enough wheels. Didn't see the 4-2 speed that he needed yeah. to get under that one. Yeah. But uh, I know that we're excited to see what he can do. And obviously, he's a Division II player coming up to the NFL. Eager to see what he can do in this receiving core that's already got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Devin, we greatly appreciate having a chance to chat with you, and thank you for your time. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me. Best of luck this upcoming season. All right. Thank you. Coming up next, Rob and I are going to continue our Inside the Seahawks draft series. Dariq Young wasn't the only receiver that Seattle drafted in the seventh round. We'll be taking a look at the strengths and weaknesses for Bo Melton, heralding from Rutgers, also a senior bowl standout when we return in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts of their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they have everything you could possibly ask for, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even a steering wheel cover. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We just had a chance to learn a bit more about Jareek Young, the seventh-round pick out of Lenore Ryan, but he's not the only receiver that Seattle drafted in the seventh round. And maybe this one was the more surprising one, given the fact that Bo Melton, coming out of Rutgers, most mock drafts that you saw up there had him going in early day three in the fourth round, and he lasted all the way till the middle of the seventh round despite getting to the senior bowl, despite running a 4-3-4 40-yard dash. This is a guy that I thought was going to go a lot earlier. So there's potential for this to be a great value selection for the Seahawks, getting him at pick 229. I 100% agree with you, Corbin. I, I I was not surprised that he wound up dropping as far as he did, just because we talked about this in the buildup to the draft. The 2022 NFL draft class was just so much more saturated than pri- uh, pri- prior years because, of course, the NCAA granted that extra year of eligibility to players. And we saw a record number of wide receivers come off the board in the first round. Six of the first 18 picks were first-rounders. 13 picks selected over the, the first two rounds. Um, that's never happened at the uh, in the NFL draft, the wide receiver position as well. So a lot of really good receivers wound up dropping very far down the board and Bo Melton being a perfect example of that. He should have gone in the fourth or fifth round. Most years he would have, but he slips to Seattle all the way down in the seventh round. And I think that they got an absolute steal. Uh, this kid, his, how quick he is, his straight line speed as well. Um, you know, this is a guy who can make people miss. He is a perfect slot receiver in Shane Waldron's offense. Um, you can just see those of you, those of you watching on YouTube could see like the strengths and weaknesses that we just kind of illustrated up there. 
Um, you know, again, his ability to impact the game with his quickness and his speed is going to make him a guy that can make plays as a slot receiver on special teams as well. Um, he was a very productive receiver at Rutgers, was kind of their guy for years. Um, and, and so I, I think that, that this is a guy that I think in a lot of ways may wind up being Seattle's biggest steal of a 2022 draft class, Corbin. That I think you and I both agree it looks like one of the best that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have ever put together during their time in Seattle. You mentioned the production, and Melton never had more than 700 receiving yards in the season, but that comes with a huge caveat. Rutgers has not had a good quarterback, let alone a great one, during his time on campus. This is not an offense that's built around passing the football. And I can't tell you how many times going back and watching Rutgers film where Melton was open and the quarterback could not get the football to him. So that was a big issue. I think you put him in another offense with another program. This is a guy that consistently can get 1,000-yard seasons, and he might be drafted in the third or fourth round then, but I'm sure there are teams looking at some things on film, like the, the production's not there that a lot of these guys have. But I think you look at the tape, the first thing that jumps out to me, he ran a 4-3-4, 40-yard dash. I don't always see that speed from him on the field in, in terms of the ability to create separation. Now, maybe part of it was just the offense he was playing in, but I didn't always see that burst. What I did see, however, was the quickness working in and out of breaks. I saw the really good footwork working along the sidelines. And he got tested because his quarterbacks couldn't throw the ball accurately half the time. And he found ways to get his feet down in bounds. So there's some things from a technical standpoint that excite me about this kid. And I also love the positional versatility. You mentioned him playing out of the slot, but Shane Waldron, this offense, he loves to have receivers that he can move around and line up in multiple spots. And it was partially because they, you know, out of necessity, they had to have Melton playing all over the place because he was one of their most dynamic playmakers. But he spent some time in the backfield. He ran the ball a fair amount. They ran jet sweeps with him. He played on the outside. He played slot. He played some special teams. Not a ton for Rutgers, but we got to see him at the Senior Bowl do that a little bit. Had his struggles catching punts, but I think this guy could be a very good punt returner if he can clean up that aspect. That's a huge deal. you got to be able to catch the punt first, but the other traits are there for him to be really good in that capacity. And I thought given the opportunities that he had, he was pretty darn productive at Rutgers even though he didn't have a great quarterback and he wasn't in an offense that necessarily fit him. I, I see the explosiveness in spurts. What I'm curious to see is in the NFL, and I could see it at the rookie minicamp, you could see how fast this guy can run, playing in an offense where maybe he has a little better chance to really maximize his skill set. Maybe they're going to throw the ball a little bit better. Even if it's Drew Locke or Geno Smith, one of those guys being able to get the football to him will really allow that speed to show. And we know that Pete Carroll's not going to change his tune on that. They might run the ball more this year, but they're still going to take their shots downfield. And I look at Melton as a guy where that is kind of a projection because we didn't see a lot of those deep balls at Rutgers. But that's the type of player that still could be there, which makes this all the more intriguing. It does. And the fact that he is relatively pro-ready. Uh, you know, while I would agree with you that Rutgers – is far from the most prolific passing offense in college football. You know, their head coach is Greg Schiano. I mean, that was a former yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach and spent a lot of time in, in the NFL, including with the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick. I mean, he was uh, – Bo Melton was asked to run 
NFL caliber routes and play in a pro style offense. He was asked to block um, as a receiver. That's something that we just talked about with Lenore Ryan, uh, receiver coach. You know, I mean, that, that's how important that was. Derek Young, same kind of thing here with Bo Melton. And I mean, that was one of the things that I just really appreciate about Seattle's draft as, as a whole is the fact that Seattle did double down on you know these four positions of concern and yet they did so at wide receiver especially with two receivers who are complete opposites of each other in terms of just their build and their frame and things of that nature but the one thing that does kind of unite them is just their versatility um their hunger and and so again i i think that that melton as well as young I think you're going to wind up surprising a lot of people. You don't usually have a huge expectations of receivers selected in the seventh round. And again, to the point I made earlier, I, I really was surprised that that Melton, I, I shouldn't say I was surprised that he was available there because I did anticipate there would be a lot of really good football players, especially at receiver and cornerback who are going to wind up dropping down in this draft class. But where I am surprised is that this is just a really good talent. I, I'm surprised that, that uh, more clubs didn't just throw out their um, their areas of concern instead take the best player available. If they would have, Melton would have been off the board, certainly by the end of the fifth round. Yeah, that was really a consensus when you looked at draft grades. And that was something that I noticed consistently is a lot of people were considering this to be one of the better value picks, if not the best value pick for the Seahawks, because most people had him pegged as a fourth or fifth round selection, which in a draft as loaded as this one was at receiver, that's saying something because there might be other years where he sneaks into day two. And we're seeing this every year. There's a ton of great receiving talent that's coming out annually now. That's just the way that seven on seven and the way college offenses have changed and just the way teams are slinging the football around. There's more receivers coming into the league pro ready than ever before. So maybe that wouldn't be the case moving forward. But in the past, Bo Melton certainly could have played into day two consideration. He's got that kind of talent. This was just a loaded draft class at that position. I still think, though, when you look at the depth chart for Seattle, you've got DK Metcalf. You've got Tyler Lockett. Freddie Swain doubled all of his stats last year. He's shown some upside. D. Eskridge, they still believe, can be a game wrecker. He just last year, the concussion just set him back and he wasn't able to recover. Missed those first seven games. Hopefully they can get the production out of him they're hoping to get. But I think after that, there's a major competition that's brewing there because you're going to have Penny Hart and Cody Thompson back, Aaron Fuller, Kate Johnson. I mean, there are a number of guys that could find a way to sneak on this roster. But I would think when you compare those players I just mentioned to these two, Bo Melton and Derek Young, who have special teams experience, and they are clearly superior athletes. These two guys have athletic profiles that just – the other guys that I just mentioned pale in comparison. And that's no offense to them. They're great athletes. All these guys are great athletes. But Derek Young and Bo Melton, we're talking guys with 4'4 four, four and 4'3 four, speed and great quickness and tested well in other categories, and they played special teams. They've done a number of things on offense. They've got versatility working for them. So I would think there's no gimme here, but I would think if these two guys can come in, learn the offense, and have productive training camps and preseasons on offense and special teams, they've got a great chance to be the five and six receivers. And they could hold six if these guys play on special teams because they would add that value. It absolutely would. And you just mentioned some of the receivers that I think are very much on notice now. Um, because, again, 
with um, with with Melton and his size. I mean, he's going to project more of that that kind of classic slot spot. So guys like Fuller, guys like uh, Penny Hart, especially, um, you know, I mean, the guys who have proven that they can be reliable, um, you know, and that's why they've made Seattle's roster. But they just simply do not have the juice that that Melton and Young possess. And so if Melton and Young can prove that they're reliable, and as it is accurate in a scouting report that Melton did have some drops over his career, yeah. um, you know, not only as a special teamer, but as a receiver as well. At the Senior Bowl, I watched him drop some balls. And I kind of threw that out of the, the equation a little bit because it was raining as much as it was there. And obviously there's a lack of familiarity with the quarterbacks. Um, but at the same time, that is a concern. So, But if Melton can prove that he is reliable in terms of his route running, in terms of just catching the football, then yes, I do think that he's going to wind up making the Seahawks as a rookie. Things are going to be exciting to see both these seventh round guys. We're going to have a chance on tomorrow's episode to dive a little deeper in Tariq Young. We got to hear a first person account on somebody that's coached him. We'll look a little bit more at some of the limited film we have and talk strengths and weaknesses as we wrap up our Inside the Seahawks draft series. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to be wrapping up our Inside the Seahawks draft series, taking a look at strengths and weaknesses for Lenore Ryan receiver Dariq Young and much more. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.